This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you uh, so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that uh, we can sing and worship and, and praise you because of who you are and what you've done in your son to bring us near to you. Lord, it's uh, a wonderful thing, even as we look forward to, to full salvation, to sin and death defeated, Lord. Even this morning, when we, we think about real and active faith. Um, we wrestle with that, even in our own hearts, because we still are in the presence of sin. I look forward to the day um, where it's not a matter of faith, but it's a matter of sight. And we can see your glory and your goodness and know you for who you are face to face. In the meantime, Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in a, just a really powerful way to give us a living faith, to give us a faith that we can land on because we hear and obey your word, not because of any strength within us, not because of who we are, but because you are actively working through your spirit in our hearts. So help us hear what you have to say this morning so that we could draw closer to you. I build up our faith, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. So our, our series, title Somewhere to Land, um, just a little reminder that we're, James has written this letter to people who have been dispersed from their home, and there's a, there's a couple of different senses in which you can understand that. We've mentioned that a few different times. But uh, he, he's writing to people who, for one reason or another, have a little bit of chaos in their life. For one reason or the other, the things that they've known to be normal uh, aren't, aren't anymore. Uh, maybe the rhythms that they've relied on or the, or the customs that they've been used to or, or even the, the form of their religion uh, that they grew up with is completely different. And I think that it, uh, when things change like that, when there's just a big difference in well, what we used to know, what we were comfortable with, what was just our, our daily rhythms, and, we, and that gets kind of uh, shaken, <laughs> then we're looking, often we're scrambling, we're looking for somewhere to rest, <laughs> somewhere to land. This idea that, that uh, if there's a little turbulence, as soon as you hit the ground on the plane, you're like, whew, you know, like we're here. <laughs> Just feel better about that already. And so he's, he started his letter by encouraging them with just the unchangeable nature of God. Like no matter what is going on in our lives, God is unchanging and always good. And so we can rest in the reality that we worship a God, the, the father of lights, the most bright, shining, glorious everything. <laughs> that we can imagine in whom there's no shadow due to change. There's like no change in his, his goodness and his glory and his majesty. Amen. So we have to start with that if we want somewhere to land. And he says, well, that father of lights has spoken to us in his word. So he's, com he's communicated things to us that, that can ground us. 
And so now he's telling us as he moves into this next section, he's sort of, he's reiterated this a handful of different times. Where he says, uh, you know, look at chapter one, verses 25. It says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Or verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So he's kind of hitting this point as he's gone a few different times saying, we can rest, we can land in the, the presence and the beauty and the wonder of God. And we can, we can, we can begin to understand what, who this God is and what he's saying, and what he's asking of us. If we, if we listen, if we persevere, if we kind of sit in his word and receive it meekly. And he comes to this section and he's essentially saying, if you believe the word, if you believe who, the God, who that God is, it's going to actually produce something different in who you are. It's going to change how you act, what you think, how you use your time, everything. Yeah. And he, he starts the section by saying, what good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works? And there's a few different, as we work through this section, he talks about faith by itself uh, is dead. He in saying faith apart from works is dead. He says faith uh, apart from works is useless. And, and, and I think it's helpful to see that word faith. It's a, you know, I had to, I was at, man, I was at a, I was at a soul cycle class. And I, I, I sort of told this story before, but, but I, he, a guy asked me what I did, and I was like, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, he's like, I'm really a man of faith myself, too. And I was like, and he was a nice guy. We had like a little nice chat there, but like what he meant by that was something very different <laughs> than kind of what James is saying here. And a way it helps me uh, as uh, an English reader is as we go through this, this section here, the word believe and the word faith are the same word. Like in the original language, they're, they're coming from the same place. Sometimes that word is even translated as like trust. Like, so he's saying belief, if you have beliefs about things and it doesn't actually affect what you do, those are not useful beliefs. But that's, that's what he's saying. And so this morning we're gonna kind of sit on this idea that you can't land on dead faith. If your view of belief, if your view of faith is this sort of amorphous thing out here that doesn't affect anything up here or in here or the things that I do, James is saying, what's the, what's the point of that belief? Like, how does that give you a place to land if you believe something that doesn't make any difference in your life. Saying so you can't land on dead faith. Look at verse 14. I'm just gonna kind of reiterate it because it's nice to walk through the passage. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And he's, he's pointing out this, this idea of dead faith. I, uh, I, I put, I'd say belief or like belief, you know, like uh, do, you, do you believe something and it makes a tangible difference? Uh, how about, 
I believe that when I go to the store and swipe my credit card, that money is there. There was a time in my life where I wouldn't have believed that because I didn't know and didn't keep track and wasn't responsible at all. So I had faith sometimes and it failed me. But now I I pay attention. So I have a belief, a knowledge. I really believe that there's money there. And when I swipe it, I'll be okay. I don't really even think about that very, very much in a sense. Or is there, is there this, this idea that you have a, a belief, the, the air quotes belief, but it doesn't mean anything for me day to day? I was thinking about just some examples of this. Most of us will say with our mouths that true rest is found in God himself. Amen. Right? Like no one's going to object to that in this morning false (laughs) that's a belief that we hold as christians that joy and peace and, and everything we really need to rest is found in the the person and character of god we confess that we we have a belief of that but when we get home from work and it was chaos or we have a a long day with a toddler or we have a stressful conversation with someone that we know and it just is weighing on us, where we go to find rest, where we go to relax, where we go to check out, where we go to have like a measure of peace is showing what we really believe where rest is found. That's dim- like we can say that we believe rest is found in God but if, if we're going to something else instinctually, you know, none of those, you know, all, you know, movies are great. Going out to eat, awesome. We live in Denver. There's a lot of different things to do. Taking it out on the trail, on a run, you know, there's like a whole different all kinds of avenues we can go to find rest and peace. But what we're saying is we really believe that those other things are where I'm going to find rest, no matter what we say. And I think as long as we're in this fallen world, as long as we're wrestling with sin, there is going to be some continuity. There's going to be some discontinuity here. Like I'm going to say and confess and read my scriptures and, and, and say all of these things. And as, because I'm a sinner, or uh, as James says um, later in there, oh, here we go. Chapter three, verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. Like James understands that no one he's writing has this down 100%. Like that's not past him. But what he's trying to encourage us to see, see a difference between faith that affects our lives or belief, believing something that changes our lives and affects our lives and believing something that's just on the surface. Confessing something, saying something out loud that might be true, but doesn't actually affect who we are and what we do. He knows that there's discontinuity there. He's aware of this. And he's writing to people who are struggling, and he's saying, this is really important. If you want somewhere to land, acknowledge that God is unchanging, and you're, you're all about his word, and you want to receive it meekly and trust what he's saying and who he is and what he's doing. He's saying you have to actually have real faith, real belief that changes what you do, because you can't land on dead faith. 
There isn't stability in confessing something to be true and acting in a way that it doesn't matter. There's no stability there. You can't land on dead faith. I like his illustration. He puts kind of a lot of time to say this to us. In verse 15, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? I love how simple his explanations are. It's obvious that those words are meaningless. It's obvious that that doesn't really get you anywhere. And he says, so also, let me, let me like make the point again. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Amen. If it does not have works, is dead. Now he gets a little bit of an objection in the next verse. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And I, there's a lot of commentators are curious, like, you know, that we have quotes in our Bible, like, quote, you have faith and I have works, end quote, and then we, like, the rest of the sentence. And there's, you know, in the original language, there wasn't quotes. (laughs) We were trying to infer from the context what's going on here. And there's arguments about one way or the other, it seems to me that the way our Bibles translate it is, makes the most sense. Because it, it's like the emphasis is, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Someone will say, hey, those are separate things. Let's not, let's not consider those things together. And, and I was trying to think of like, how do we express that uh, in our particular context? And one of the things I think we like to say is Aaron, hey, it's the gospel. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we do. That's a separate thing. That's something else altogether. Now, there is uh, a little bit of controversy, and we're not going to get super far into it between some things that Paul has written and some things that James has written. And the short of it is that Paul, even in his letters, is obviously defending himself at times against people who think, well, if Paul's gospel is true, then we can just do whatever we want. (laughs) We can just live it up. (laughs) Like Paul himself is like, That's not how it works. He says, should we just go on sinning since there's so much grace? And Paul's answer to that is like, I don't understand what you're saying. How can you be united to Jesus? How can you be baptized in his death and raised up with him and it have no effect on your life? Paul's like, that makes zero sense to me. So even Paul is sort of defending himself, the the, the one who who says, we are justified by the perfect work of Jesus. 
Like we have fallen short of the glory of God, but then Jesus who fulfilled the law has shown up on our behalf and, and made us right with God. There's a, the glorious truth of the gospel that, that we, can, we can actually say that I call God my father. He loves me. He's drawing near to me, not because of the things that I do, but because of what Jesus has done. But, we can, but then we can take that true and wonderful aspect of the gospel and say, sweet, I can do whatever I want. And even Paul says, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. So here's James on the other side of that. And he's saying, look, if God has done these things, if we confess, uh, as he says in chapter two, verse one, that we hold the faith or the belief in our Lord Jesus Christ, if we genuinely believe that our savior is Jesus, that he's the Messiah, that he's sitting on the throne, that he's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. If we, if we really believe that he is good and beautiful and true and in charge, if we actually believe that to be true, we're gonna act in a way, we're gonna do things differently because we have a different king. Amen. It's gonna make a difference. And he's encouraging these people who are struggling, I'm sure, in some way, shape, or form with the little K kings who are ripping them out of their homes and putting them somewhere else. And he's saying, we can confess, we can talk about all these wonderful things about who Jesus is, and we can say that he's our king, but if, but if it's true that we believe that, Real faith, real belief is gonna come with something that changes about who we are. I like how he pushes back on that objection. Like it's, like just think about this. It's, if someone's to, to say, uh, it's not about what we do, it's just about what we believe, you know? Look at how he responds to that. Oh, you believe? You have faith? Verse 19 is you, you faith? You know, it's the same word. You believe that God is one, like he's good. This is his character. He's like, great job. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Like they have a sense of his holiness and his greatness and who he is. They shudder at the belief of who God is. Amen. So in a sense, if it's only about what we believe, we're on par with the demons. there's a sense in which they have an awareness of the things of the gospel that Jesus has done like they were there. We just went through Luke. I think it's one of the first people to recognize who Jesus is as a demon. And he confesses that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus says, go, shut your mouth, basically. Like in a sense, he's like, I don't have any partnership with you Demons, Like you might be right, but truth isn't made for your, your lips. <laughs> like close it. James is saying if our, at the root, if we're saying it's okay to believe and it not make any difference in your life, you're right there with the demons. And he, he says, I think he's using... I think he's using this kind of a language because he knows 
regardless of the life circumstance you're in, regardless of what we're wrestling with, there's this, there's this real discontinuity always in this life. But if we're okay with that, if our, if our actions and our beliefs are become further and further apart and we're okay with that, that's not gonna get us anywhere. That's not gonna, not gonna give us somewhere to land. He cares, and you can't land on dead faith. So he gives us two examples, and I think this is meant to encourage us. He gives us two examples, Abraham and Rahab, and kind of shows where they landed. (laughs) I think he's like showing us the way. He's like, I've already compared you to demons. Okay, James. Made your point. So I think he's taking a little bit of shift here and he's saying, I want to encourage you. I, I want, I, instead of just telling you where you can't land, I want to help you understand how a genuine faith gives you somewhere to land. And he, he shows us Abraham and Rahab. I think Abraham, I think one of the things that... Yeah, one of the, the things that Abraham really stands out, especially in scripture, is that Abraham was a man of faith who believed in the promises of God. And I, I, you know, the way I, I would phrase it, Abraham landed on the promises. Like that's where he found his place to just rest. Like that was the concrete thing that he hung on to is the promises of God. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Do you want to see how this works itself out? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? 22 is his sort of explanation. He goes, you see that faith, his belief, the belief of Abraham was active the faith was doing something. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a belief that was so genuine that it was active along with his works and the faith was completed by his works. Like they went, they're two sides of the same coin. Like his genuine belief in the promises of God on the other side of that is, means that his life Changed and affected and was different. And those things were made complete. They were together because of his, the belief in the promises of God. Amen. I think um, Hebrews sort of um, says some really good things about Abraham that gives us a sense of this. In chapter 11, verse 8 of Hebrews, look at what, look at what the author of Hebrews says about Abraham. By faith, by, by this belief that Abraham had, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but he believed, but by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise because he was looking forward to the city that has its foundation, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, again, belief, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age and she considered him faithful, 
trustworthy, like God is trustworthy who had made that promise. Abraham and Sarah staked their life on the promises that God made to them to the point where they were willing to just leave everything, like voluntarily be part of the dispersion that in the context of James is not voluntary. They, they, they believed the promises that God had. For, for Abraham and Sarah to say, oh man, we're gonna just uproot our house and go over here and do all these things and be caught up in all this craziness. Eventually God's gonna call me to sacrifice my own son. Think of the like anxiety of doing all of that. <laughs> like, hey, I, I promise you this thing, just pack up and head that direction. We'll talk later. <laughs> Sometimes years later. Like he was able to do that. He was able to do what God called him to do. He was able to have a measure of peace. And again, he's not Jesus. He wavered in his faith. But here Hebrews is saying, look, look at, look at what Abraham did. It's because he believed, he had faith that the promises of God were something he could land on. The things that God said were so true. God, God promised Abraham offspring that would be greater than the stars in the sky. So when then God said, hey, I need you to go and sacrifice your son. Like what? So I get all of this offspring and I have this one dude that I've been waiting for for like 120 years. And now you're saying get rid of him. But he could, he could do that. He could pack up the camel. He could load the wood. He could tie up his son because he believed that the promises of God were the most true thing. Amen. And we get to see his belief demonstrated by the actions that he does. We get to see, we see, we get to see faith made complete because as he trusts God, he moves forward and does something crazy because he believes what God is saying. What are some of the promises God calls us to believe in? What are some of the things that God has spoken that are good and true that we can land on? I mean, think about what Jesus says in the Gospels. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Amen. It's a promise. Jesus is speaking to you and saying, I promise to give you rest. What if we really believe that how regularly would we want to come to him 
or the parable about building your house on the rock and not on the sand. (laughs) He's saying, look, we live in a broken world. There's a sense in which a storm is coming for all of us at some point in our lives. Some way, shape, or form. No one gets away. (laughs) And, And if you wanna stand firm and stand secure when the storm comes, build your way of thinking Build your way of structuring your life. Build the way you view the world on the rock that is the word of God. Amen. That's a promise. It's, it's James is saying, receive with meekness the implanted word. The, or, or earlier in James, he says, the, the one who perseveres, the one who sits in it, will be blessed in his doing. Like there's a promise there. We, can't, we can say those things. We can say, oh, God's word is where, you know, helps me understand things, gives me peace, Jesus, all that stuff. We can kind of like confess that. And it's true. It doesn't make it not true. But then we can just live our lives like it really doesn't matter that much. And James knows that that's like not a good place to be. That is useless. That's what he's saying. That's useless. He's encouraging us to recognize the gap between what we say and what we believe, where our faith is, and how we act. And he's saying, go to the Lord, ask for wisdom, see that gap and say, Lord, I need your help to close that gap because that's where I can land. That's where I can really find peace. That's where I can find joy. That's how I can just bask in that unchanging goodness of God who is the father of lights. He's trying to help us recognize this and he points to Abraham and he says, look, look at all the things that God called him to do and he was able to do and scripture praises him for it he, because he was anchored in the real promises of God. He didn't just confess them with his mouth. He like really believed them deep down so it made a difference what he could do. I think it's interesting Rahab is a just a, a just a whole different scenario with her um, if you're not familiar uh, in the in the story of scripture Moses uh, pulls everyone out of Egypt by God's hand they're going into the promised land and everyone kind of freaks out so well I don't think we can do this you know never mind the fact that God just decimated the Egyptian armies, but now this next thing, we definitely can't do that. So God punishes them because of their unbelief. They don't enter the rest of the land. And a generation later, Joshua is bringing them into the land. They're about to cross over into the land with the Lord. The angel of the Lord is gonna go with them. And so now all of the uh, essentially with Abraham, uh, all of the, I think it's like 500 plus years later, so 460 years in Egypt after Abraham, actually it would have been more because of Isaac and Jacob. So we're six or seven centuries later, this promise is beginning to be fulfilled. They're about to enter the land of promise. And God's saying, my, my angel will go with you. And before they enter the land, Joshua, the sort of military strategist, 
says, hey, look, we're going to go spy out the land, and especially the city, Jericho, because it's like a big deal. It's got all these walls. It's like, it's a, it's a formidable opponent. And now, in a, in, a, in a broad sense, as far as like the story of the Bible goes, the people of God are about to be at war with the people of the serpent. Like you have the, the seed of Eve uh, and the seed of Satan kind of coming together and there's this picture of God's people coming in and taking over the land because it's, it's conquering the people who have been rebelling against God and rejecting him and following the serpent. There's this, there's this constant God's people versus the serpent's people battle in scripture. So before this battle is about to take place, before they're about to enter into the promised land and, and claim what God has given to them, and in the same time that God is giving them the promises, God is fulfilling judgment on those who rejected him. Because he's a just God. And he tells Abraham centuries earlier, he's like, look, their sin isn't filled up yet. But someday it will be. Like, I, I have a measure of patience 700 years later, he's like, all right, you know, ish. So he says, all right, it's time. And the spies come, the spies come to Jericho and they're scoping it out. And Rahab has heard of all of this. Look at what she says in Joshua chapter two, verse eight. So before the men lay down, this is the spies that came to, to spy out Jericho. She hit them on the roof. She came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us Amen. and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. She's like, I know that we have this coming. Why? Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. I know that you have a just God that destroyed the people who were against him, both in Egypt and the Amorites. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab has heard of God, the true and living God. She goes to the spies. It's like, I know who you worship. I recognize what he's doing. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's Lord over all of those things. And you know what she does in the rest of the story? She humbles herself and says, think of me and my family and what I have done to serve God's people, to put my life on the line 
from everyone that I'm around me rejects him 100%. She doesn't say you owe me. She just says, remember me and think of me as I've done these things for you. Because I believe, I trust, I know who your God is. In a sense, she's saying, have mercy. And the spies say, we'll remember you. Even though she is an enemy of God in the land that's doomed to destruction, she recognizes the justice of God and goes to the people of God and says, have mercy on me. She relies on the character of God. And she's commended for having faith, for having a belief in this God, approaching him in a way that true to who he is, who his character is, And now God rescues her from the judgment to come. If, as Paul would say, if while we were still enemies, God reconciled us to himself, how much more does he want to give you all things? Like the character of our God is just, and he's not going to allow for sin to continue indefinitely maybe a lot longer than you and I would. He's very patient and kind, but he's just. He's saying there is judgment to come, both for the Amorites and for any sinner who continues to reject him. But like Rahab, there's an enemy there that's saying, you are a just God, have mercy on me. And he's like, welcome to the family. (laughs) Welcome to the family. The, the whole city crumbles down around it in a really miraculous way. And there's like one little, I just picture like, like a crumble, like an awkward, because her, her house was on the wall, like an awkward like piece of the wall with a window and the like red cord hanging, you know, like, like the whole thing decimated. And there's like one little house awkwardly standing. You know, uh, I have the pictures of some of the tornadoes recently where it's like decimated and there's this random house that's like fine. Rahab is willing to risk everything to even stay with her family in the wall as things are crumbling around around her, trusting in the character of God. She's landed on God's character. I think this is an encouraging example because when we recognize that so much of what we say is inconsistent with so much what we do, act, and think, that's discouraging. You know, like, maybe it's just because I'm an Enneagram one and I want to be more consistent or whatever, you know? But it's discouraging when God reveals things about us that are inconsistent with his character. And Rahab is an example of, look, this was the enemy of God for destruction and she threw herself on this God who was just and merciful and he rescued her and now if you have been united to Christ and you're already part of the family and you see the gap between what you believe and what you do how much more can we throw ourselves on God and say give me wisdom Lord Strengthen my faith. Help me genuinely believe the promises. Help me really rest on your character and who you are. 
how much more does he want to do that for you? Kind of ends this section. It's encouraging us that we can't land on dead faith. He ends this section says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I mean, he said this three times. I mean, he's, it must be a truth. It must be something that James really, 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 really wants us to understand. It's a theme that's kind of all throughout the letter. I would just encourage you to think and to ask the Lord, where does my faith, where does your faith need life? Where does your faith need life? Do, do we have faith? Do we believe that rest is found in God? Maybe that faith needs life by just making time for that. If that's what we believe and that's what we do, that begins to like close the gap. And we can pray and we can ask God and we can say, Give me genuine faith. Give me a belief that affects what I do every day. We, we can plead with him for that. He wants to give us those things. Where does your faith need life? It's interesting that when Jesus leaves, well, this is just stuck with me, but he, he says, it's better that I go so that the helper could come. Like it's better that Jesus is sitting on the throne in heaven and not in this room right now so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit. I would rather him be here, I think. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. <laughs> He'd probably point me back to scripture. <laughs> the Spirit is a powerful... He, I said, it... It's heresy. He is a powerful person of the Godhead dwelling in us to, to close that gap, to give us life, to give life to our faith. He's dwelling in us to equip us, to equip us to share even that with others and to step into maybe some of those awkward conversations. Like, do we believe the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us and equipping us for what we have to come in our life. Do we believe that God is genuinely present with us all the time and he dwells in us? And no matter what we're going through, he is there. What would that look like for that faith, that belief to have life? What would be different 
about your anxiety as you look towards the future if you really believe that the spirit was dwelling in you and equipping you? How would the thoughts that you mull over in your head be different? For that faith to have life, that belief to have life in what I do. I think there's a couple more that we'll end with because they're related. Earlier, James encouraged us and says uh, in chapter two, verse 12, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Amen. Do we believe that our life will be judged, will be evaluated in light of God's law? Do we believe that? Do we believe that the, the perfect standard for what is good and beautiful and true is communicated to us in the, the law of God? That that is the most right? I think if we believed that, if that belief, if that faith was to have life, maybe there's sin that you have to turn from. Maybe there's wickedness that you don't really believe is worse than what God is saying. Maybe you believe that the thing that you're involved in or the sin that you've refused to give up is better. And maybe for that faith to have true life, for that belief to, to really come alive in who you are, is to say, Lord, I actually like this sin and I need your help. I need your Holy Spirit to change what I think and what I desire and what I feel so that I can really believe, so that my belief that your law is the best thing for me, that it's good and beautiful and true and act in a way that's consistent with that. I need help with that. He wants to help us with that. But at the same time, James calls it the law of liberty because you and I don't stand condemned before God. We don't, we don't stand waiting for the punishment, even though he's going to evaluate our lives by that law so that for, to the praise and glory of his grace. We can praise him and honor him for eternity for the things that we've done to glorify him. But he, the, the punishment is taken away. If we genuinely believe that God's love for us, if we genuinely believe that God's care for us and his desire and his compassion for us is based on what Jesus has done, Think about how that change how you feel about yourself. If that belief in the gospel were to, to have a life in you, think about how then easy it would be for you to go to the heavenly father, regardless of what you failed at, and say, Lord, I know that you love me, you care for me, you're drawing near to me, you want to do more, you want to build up my faith and who I am. If we genuinely believe the gospel that we stand in Christ Jesus, we should have no hesitation to go to the Lord for help. We should have no hesitation to view our way in anything less than how God views Jesus himself. Is that how you view yourself? Paul actually encourages you in Romans to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how you should think of yourself. As someone loved by God, 
James knows that we can't land on dead faith. And it's, we all mess up. He says that a few verses later. But the more we recognize the gap between what we believe or what we say and what we do, because we don't really believe, the more we recognize that gap and we go to the Lord who loves us, he's working to bring that together. So that just like Abraham, your faith and your works could complete that. And that would give us joy, that would give us peace, that would give us a genuine sense of the presence of God. That is the kind of faith that you and I can land on no matter what is going on. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with that. Father, I thank you so much that you are so gracious and so kind and so good to us, Lord. Help us see where our faith needs more life. Um, Lord, I thankful that your spirit comes to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Your, your spirit is there to help us see the gap because you love us and you care for us and you don't want to leave us there. You're, you're graciously revealing to us where our beliefs are useless so that we could come to you and plead with you even like Rahab we could, we could know that you're a just God and, and there's sin and there's genuine need to repent but there's, there's also mercy and grace that triumphs over that help us recognize where we are so that we could come closer and closer to you Lord thank you for this time and use your spirit to encourage us and to build up our faith even as we Partake of the bread and the wine. In your name I pray, amen.